Psalm 95 in its entirety. It's okay, it's not that long, and it will be a blessing for sure. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is great, is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And so, today, we're talking about praise and thanksgiving. This short series was themed around Thanksgiving and and not the holiday, but the idea of giving thanks. And so I want to ask you a simple question and, and let you ponder on this for a second. When's the last time you can remember feeling really uninhibited? When's the last time you really felt uninhibited? I'd say when's the last time you really let your hair down, but some of us would find that amusing. I'm pretty sure the last time I felt really uninhibited, I had hair to let down. But what about you? I mean, when is the last time you really felt completely uninhibited, just comfortable in your own skin? Do you remember? If you don't, why? Why is that such a rare occasion in your life? Think about that for a minute. But if you can remember, who were you with? What were the circumstances? How was it that you felt at ease with yourself and you could just relax and be who you are? I remember, gosh, almost 40 years ago, actually about 40 years ago, I worked at the main branch of the Tulsa City County Library System and there was this man named Dennis who was a floater that means he went from job to job wherever he was needed. And, and everybody loved Dennis. He was just so relaxed. He was so comfortable in his own skin. He, he had been uh, a traveler and he'd been to exotic places and done interesting things. And he always had a good story to tell. But the best part of Dennis was that he, just, he was just silly at times and he didn't care. He didn't mind, you know. And I remember we had a party for the circulation department that he attended and we, we went to a roller skating rink. Now some of you will remember roller skating rinks right up there with long playing vinyl records and phones with cords and dials and so forth. But yeah, once upon a time we used to go to the roller rink for fun. And I can remember Dennis being the life of the party. Not that he tried. He wasn't trying to be the center of attention. He was just okay with getting out there and falling flat on his backside and he was okay with with trying things 
you know how at, at uh, skating rinks they'll have a, a DJ and special songs where you have to do certain things, you know, and uh, and he just did it all. And, and I remembered feeling so entirely uptight and inhibited and afraid to be embarrassed and shamed in front of others. And, and it dawned on me in that moment, look at Dennis. Everybody loves Dennis. And why, if not, because he's just okay with who he is and he doesn't mind if he does things that people laugh at. It doesn't matter to him whether you're laughing at him or laughing with him, he's just okay. He was a great inspiration at an important part of my young life. And, and it reminds me then that when we talk about worship and praise, we find ourselves very inhibited and uptight, don't we? That's the point really of today's topic is to deal with the fact that we come to church uptight and what a shame it is that we leave just as uptight. So let's talk about that for a second. I'd like to read from the scripture again. If you want to open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 6, I'm going to read a story from it. 2 Samuel chapter 6 is uh, it's going to be about oh, roughly midway to a little bit less in the Old Testament in your Bible. So if you start at Genesis and start flipping forward to about halfway uh, through the book, uh, the, the pages itself, you, you'll be in the neighborhood of 2 Samuel. Um, I like to do this when I'm preaching and teaching because it's very important to me that you learn how to drive the Bible. You know, you got to learn how to operate one of those things. A lot of people really don't have a lot of experience, but once you get the hang of it, you know, only hard books to find are like Habakkuk or something. You know, you can find the big ones. And, uh, you know, and if you can find the big ones, I'll even be able to get you to Amos or somebody like that. But Second Samuel chapter 6 tells a story about King David. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. And they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. And then all the people departed, each to his house. And David returned to bless his household. But Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows who shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. And I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Now, that story kind of hits home 
when we realize that David was a man after God's own heart and he pranced and danced and acted silly, expressing his great love and passion for the Lord. And uptight, rigid people like Michal mocked him and made fun of him. Now, if we were really deeply, deeply diving into this story, there are things that I could flesh out with you, like, you know, what her problem was and all that, and Saul, uh, her father and everything, and, and the extent to which David exposed himself. We could talk about all of that, but rest assured that by our standards, it probably wasn't all that indecent. You know, after all, when Jesus tells the story about the, uh, the prodigal son, he tells something really controversial when he mentions that this dignified man of, of uh, wealth and, and uh, reputation actually lifted his skirt a little bit to run with his ankles exposed to meet his son. So we can bet that in the Bible we're not talking about anything all that lewd. But rest assured that there is a story that needs to be told about David's uninhibited devotion to God, his uninhibited worship of God. You see, David worshiped God as one who just couldn't help it. Now, you know, many of you have known me for four and a half years now, and you've heard me say that more times than we can count. I'm fond of saying regularly that we should worship God like we just can't help it. And this is what I mean. Worship God like you just can't help it, like it is so impossible for you to restrain your love for God. You know, we can do that in other parts of our lives, and we often do. Many times it's in secret. Many times nobody really witnesses it. But somehow, when others are around us, we seem to care more about what they think of us or might think about us. And what more, what's worse is we imagine what they might think about us and we're probably wrong. For all we know, you're watching others worship with the same spirit that I watched watch my friend Dennis roller skate. I wish I could be like him. I wish I could be more uninhibited. And so isn't it a shame how much we restrain ourselves and restrict ourselves because of the fear of judgment from somebody who has no authority over us, whose opinion is of little consequence, and yet we worry more about that than we do the opinion of our Lord God, our Creator. Think about that. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25, and then Hebrews 13, 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25 says... The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And then we'll read Hebrews 13, 15. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. You know, one of the things that escapes us so often is the fact that God is, in all earthly interpretation, foolish. Remember when Satan went to God in the story of Job 
And he stood in God's presence and he pointed that long, ugly, bony finger of accusation and he said, they don't worship you because they want to. They worship you because they have to. You give them what they want and that's why they worship you. And this is the one who, along with lesser beings who fell from God's place of residence, what we would call heaven, they mock God. They amuse themselves by shaming the saints. They are the ones who speak through people like Micah and say, look at you, King David, making a mockery of yourself, sacrificing your dignity they are the ones who speak with the host Satan, the bony finger of accusation. God is foolish in the eyes of vain, self-important people. And chief among the beings who are vain and self-important is Satan. And Satan's following God is foolish to send his own son from a place of divinity and majesty inconceivable to us to be like one of us and live in our midst and suffer all the indignities and cruelties of the fallen world. It is foolish. It is foolish that the son of God would be born to colorful circumstances in a barn, in a food trough, in a cave, in a food trough carved out of its walls. Whatever the circumstances, it's foolish. It is foolish that God would allow his son of glory to be captured, tortured, and brutally killed by human authorities with vanity and self-importance that comes and goes in a matter of decades and then they're just dust. It is foolish that God would invest so much in people who largely reject God's authority and leadership in their lives. It is foolish that God would persevere for as long as God does with people who do horrible things in God's name to each other which is one of the most troubling things for God that we read in Scripture when the saints are at each other's throats over silly, trivial things. When there's a world of evil out there laughing and mocking. No wonder then our heartfelt worship is absolutely essential and yet so hard for us to express. I went to school the first time. I, I've been to school for 20 years and, and most of it while working. So I was like a journeyman pastor and also receiving my education. And the first place I went to uh, education for pastors uh, was a seminary on the North Shore of Lake Michigan in Evanston, Illinois, north of Chicago. And up there, well, you can imagine it's pretty liberal and the school was pretty liberal. And, 
And, and we went on a lot of really great course-related assignments and got to worship in places you couldn't find around here, but there's plentiful in Chicago. And one of the places we went was to the Second Baptist Church right there in Evanston, Illinois. And, and the pastor, it turns out, was a graduate of the seminary that I was attending at the time. And, and uh, he knew that from time to time, students from that seminary would come to his church to worship. And so you can imagine when this pastor with his with his towel on his shoulder so that he could mop his head as often as he needed. This pastor who in, in utter exuberance was preaching like it was coming from deep inside somewhere. And you can imagine this pastor surrounded by people who sang with all their heart and worshiped like they couldn't help it. You can imagine how he must have felt when he looked over and he saw this little bunch of white people sitting there together looking very uptight and inhibited. In, inhibited. You can imagine what that was like for him. And you've heard me use this phrase before, and now you're going to find out where I learned this phrase. And this man who was a colleague of sorts because he graduated from the same school and yet chose to align himself with a different denomination. This man looked over and said, I see the frozen chosen are here today. And now you know the rest of the story. This is why I often refer to us as the frozen chosen. Because my brother in Christ was right. We were uptight and inhibited. Now, I'll grant you that we were so far out of our comfort zone that anybody would find it difficult. But at least we had to admit that there are a lot of different styles of worship and some are more inhibited than others. Here's the irony. There were probably people worshiping there who were doing things that really weren't natural or comfortable for them because they felt peer pressure to do so. I have worshiped in churches where the speaking in tongues is something that is praised and prized by people. And I've worshiped there long enough and often enough to hear people fake it because of their desire to be accepted. So let me rest. Let me just put your mind to rest by saying that I'm not supposing that there's something wrong with the way we worship or the way you worship, but simply saying that authentic worship comes with two critical elements. They are the essential ingredients to authentic worship, and they may not be what you think they are. The number one ingredient, the number one ingredient is understanding who's most important. Do you know that the worst failings that I've seen among clergy and frankly in a lot of other aspects of life unrelated to church ministry, the number one failing is people who take themselves too seriously. You and I have been hurt and troubled and frustrated by people who have a high sense of self-importance. And they make the rest of us suffer because they are so bent on making sure their self-importance is acknowledged. I've had colorful conversations with people where I had to say to them, I really sense that our principal problem here is, is that I don't take you as seriously as you take you. And you can probably imagine that they didn't think that the pastor sounded very Christian in that moment. To which I would say, well, it depends on how you define Christian. My definition of Christian is a person who is a subject of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and I am a citizen in his kingdom, which means 
I'm not as important as he is. How do you define what it means to be a Christian? Stew on that for a minute. And then find Psalm 100, verse 4, and we'll talk about those two critical ingredients. There is a God worthy of our worship, and I ain't him. That's rule number one. Rule number two is found in Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Do you notice that it says to give thanks twice and praise once? Because the heart of praise, authentic, heartfelt praise, is thanksgiving. And you remember from last week, we talked about the good and perfect gifts that only come from above. See, the thing is, is we can thank God in the same way that Pharisee that Jesus pointed out last, in last week's message. We can say, thank God that I'm not like those people. Or we can give thanks to God to, for the good and perfect gifts that come from above. Those things that only can be attributed to God are the ones that will inhabit our praise, that will enter into our praise and make it come from deep within, where being thankful for your stuff, for your circumstances, well, it comes, that praise comes with the burden attached to it, namely you. You are like an anchor on that praise that you're trying to lift to God because you know in your heart that some of the things you're thanking God for, you kind of think you made happen. So if you're a big entrepreneur, successful business person, if you are a person who has bettered your circumstances from when you were a child, when, when you look at who you are and what you've attained and what you've accomplished through your wit and your savvy approach to the world of the flesh, you will be tempted while you give thanks to God for those benefits to also give yourself a little pat on the back, which limits the extent of authentic praise. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. All the other gifts are imperfect, in part because we, in our partnership with God's Spirit, add a certain disqualifying factor to the praise. This is a hard thing to hear, and I, I want to take just a moment now to share something very personal with you, because over the last few weeks, if you listen to me talk or you've read some of the things I've written, I know that at least a few people got the impression that I was disappointed with people in the congregation for some reason, or that I was was offended or hurt or something like that. And all I can say is nothing could be further from the truth. What I am doing is something that I wish I could get out of sometimes, and that is speaking the truth in love because it's the calling that God put on me. And so sometimes I just say what God leads me to say based on scriptural authority and the movement of the Holy Spirit through my pen or through my mouth. And and I tell you things that just need to be said. And then I, I, I worry. <laughs> I worry. I ask people around me, did you read that? Do you think people are going to get their feelings hurt? Do you think people are going to be mad? And then it, then it dawns on me that it doesn't really matter. Because <laughs> it had to be said, so I said it. 
It's a scary place to be. So all I can tell you is, is that this is not a lecture about what's wrong with the way you worship. Here's, here's the good news. You don't have to worship like the people at the Pentecostal church across town. Nor do you have to worship like the people in the Catholic church right up the road. You don't have to worship like the Methodists who worship in the city. You don't have to worship like the little country Methodist church that, you know, uh, feels a little more like a Southern Baptist church. You, you don't have to worship like any of that. You simply have to worship with thanksgiving in your heart with acts of praise. And that there's no judgment. That's the thing we have to get over when we come into the house of worship. It is altogether appropriate and good that we would worship with other Christians in a setting that feels common to us all. And so that's why you can be the frozen chosen and worship God like you just can't help it. For you, that might simply be tapping your toes because the music is just so inspiring, you know. I mean, it really doesn't matter. The point here is not that you let your hair down and act a little crazy like you've seen people do in some churches where that's considered normal and even expected. Because in a way, as I told you a minute ago, there's inhibition that comes with that. See, the problem with our worship is, is that when we are more self-conscious and more concerned about what other people think of us than we are about how God is experiencing our praise and thanksgiving, we've already shortchanged God. The word of God, the expression of God's heart and mind is what we're dealing with. And what God wants from you is as free an expression of your heart and mind as you are capable of. And when you pray, whether in private or public, when you praise and worship God, whether in private or in public, is he getting you unfiltered, uninhibited, unburdened by pride, self-consciousness, unworthiness, and other things and that is something we can all definitely work on. Pretty much anything I preach and share with you in teaching or writing or any other form is a message to myself as much as it is to anyone else. And I believe in many ways that I am still more uptight than I ought to be. But I'm also an introvert. And see, the Lord seems to think that's okay. Because no matter how many times they try to get out of doing things that introverts aren't comfortable with, God says, you can survive for a little while. And then you need rest. Because that's really what an introvert is. Somebody who does certain things publicly with joy and enthusiasm, but just needs a lot of rest afterwards. Where other people, extroverts for example, they delight in having public experiences and they get energized by the public experience. That's not me. That's why many times on Sunday mornings I spend several hours at Sunday afternoon in seclusion. Because I have to revert, you know, kind of re restore, revive the batteries. But I love what I do. And love really is what this topic is all about. Do you love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your spirit? And would the Lord know that? Even if you were doing it with others on a Sunday morning in church or some other time together in a group setting, ask yourself, 
that. The last passage I'd like you to look at is Psalm 9, verse 1. I will recount your wonderful deeds to the choir master according to Muth Laben, Laben, a psalm of David. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. That, by the way, is a thing in psalms that's pretty funny, especially if you're fairly well acquainted with hymnody in the history of the church. Many hymns are sung to popular tunes that are already known by the people. And so early hymnals in the early churches did not have musical notation in them. Everybody knew the song. You would just have the words in front of you and we would say the following song is sung to the tune of America the Beautiful. And then they'd just start singing. Ironically, a lot of the tunes they used were popular bar songs and sailors chants and so forth. But you know, people knew the tune. So it's biblical. Even David did that. Okay, we're going to sing new words to a familiar tune. And maybe that's a good place to wrap up because heartfelt, genuine expressions of worship and praise to God ought to be not something entirely alien to you, but just a new slant on something you already do. Maybe it's just a matter of coming into worship, having set aside all the world's cares for a while. Have you glanced at your phone yet today? Have you glanced at your phone since you entered the building? I'm just saying, it's stuff like that. I've looked at mine, I'm not going to lie, but the point, I guess, is, is that what we need to do is figure out how to be as authentic before God as we can be. And how that will affect the culture of the church is just yet to be seen. But that's not the real reason to do it. The real reason is because you have been blessed by God and foolishness from God to the extent that you might want to worship God like you just can't help it. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you and we praise you this morning. We give you all the glory and we mean it, Lord. We mean it when we say that you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our sacrificial praise. We're willing to sacrifice our pride. We're willing to say we didn't justify ourselves before you. You have justified us despite our weakness. We're willing to sacrifice with our praise by offering you uninhibited, unencumbered, words and deeds of worship because it is after all for your son's namesake we pray amen